Welcome to another Voltimum Lighting Panel podcast. Today we are joined by Alistair Ramsey, who is the Sustainable Development Manager at Legrand. We're also joined by Jerry Knowles, who is Managing Director of General Lamps. Chris Davey, Technical Service Engineer from Osram. And John Gorse, the Technical Solutions Manager for Philips Lighting. So today, as always, we will start off with a question. Concerns still crop up from time to time regarding LED lamp safety. At Voltman, we pride ourselves on having top manufacturers and top products highlighted on our site. But how can our users avoid products that aren't good enough? And what are the key things that they should look out for? Jerry, we'll start with you. Okay, I think the first thing to look at is why has this issue raised itself all of a sudden? We've got other technologies around HID, fluorescent, still some filament technology, and we've never really had the issue of, or the issue of quality hasn't really been as bad as it is now. The reason is that with LED technology, it's all gone global. So whereas before manufacturers would have plants set around Europe that cost an awful lot, LEDs, you can just buy a chip, get them assembled, ship them over to the UK, job done. The problem with that is, is the dealers that they're going through aren't necessarily either aware or happy to conform to current standards. So there are standards that exist, IC standards and the ERP directive, but dealers aren't either aware of them or if they are aware of them, there's nobody policing them. So there's nobody going round to these dealers ensuring that they're compliant to current legislation. So it, you end up in a situation where you shouldn't really have to, but it's all based on who you know. So the big brands will do well because we know that they'll, I mean, I would use a big brand all the time because we know they'll comply to I, the IC directive and the ERP packaging directive. Whereas smaller internet traders that are just buying goods straight from China won't necessarily comply. They may want to comply, but they may be ignorant of the laws and legislation regarding the product they're putting onto the market. So at present, we really are forced into a situation where you have to buy from a known manufacturer because you can be happy that they will comply. And I would I'd add to that a known lighting manufacturer because we've seen LG, Toshiba, Panasonic, Verbatim, many others enter the market and a lot of them have left already. And one of them's already had a, an electrical issue that was highlighted by which magazine? John? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good introductory summary, Jerry. You know, you're right to mention things like IT specifications, energy-related products directive, ERP, DIM 1, DIM 2, and its related packaging directive. They're quite prescriptive. Uh, they talk about things like packaging directive in particular talks about life, equivalence being published on the packaging. It even gets as granular as states to how many macadam ellipses, if that means anything to, to people, the lamps should be manufactured to. At least it's an opportunity for people to start to understand this new world of, of LED and the fact that people are taking lighting very seriously and looking at it in a much more granular way than they ever did before. And that's, that starts with the legislation and the manufacturers and also people are becoming more interested as they see new possibilities. But that, uh, those directives and what is placed on the pack is only as good as the A, the, the source that it comes from. So again, this is why we consider the bigger manufacturers, more reputable manufacturers, to be a, a good source of truth and accurate information. But also, who is actually auditing this? Who's actually going around policing it? And that, that's a real problem. Because each country has different methodologies of doing this. What 
should be policed and what should be audited is very clear. But how you do it and then the action that you take against it is far from clear. And of course, resources to deal with this is a problem as well. So what I would recommend is that you talk to suppliers and sources of supply and manufacturers who engage in uh, self-policing and self-regulation. And again, that comes down to reputable distributors, reputable brands, because they have a brand value that they want to protect and they also have a social responsibility that they care about and want to make sure that they are in both performance and, uh, and quality and also in safety, meeting all the required standards above and beyond. You can do one of several things. You can also start to look at, uh, for example, evidence-based background to, to the claims that are made. Always buy from manufacturers and suppliers who are able to back up their claims. Ask them what they've done in terms of product testing, how it is that they've come to, to decide that they're performing, the products are performing to the levels that are actually printed on the packaging and in the literature. And if they can't back that up, then you should be immediately suspicious. And it's also fair to say that the bigger manufacturers, if you feel you have a product which is not compliant or is not performing the way that it should be, will generally take your claim seriously. You should get in contact with them in the first place and query the products. If you are buying from a manufacturer or a brand which is unknown or perhaps the source of supply is hard to identify, you won't get a response in the same way. And equally, if you then take that case to you know, National Measurement Office on performance or to Trading Standards on safety, it'll be much harder for those bodies and those organisations who are very, very short of resources to be able to follow up and support your query and your claim. So working again with reputable manufacturers and reputable suppliers will help you to use the other instruments that are available to uh, ensure that long-term we have a maintenance and an ever-increasing ever bar of high standards in the LED lighting industry. It'll help them to work and ensure that the standards are met. To add a little bit to that, John, there is the Electrical Safety Council have a website whereby you can go on it and they've got a list of products they've tested that have failed. So... That would be a good idea if you've got the time to do it before you, if you're researching a product, to go on there and ensure that it's not something that the Electrical Safety Council have decided is not safe to put on the market. The other thing that I always find is a slightly tricky one is guarantees. So one thing that a lot of people do is they'll put a guarantee on a product. But my advice would be don't be fooled by a guarantee. It's usually a business decision made by a company. So if we put a five-year guarantee on a product, how much extra business will we get from it and what will we lose? And usually with long-life products, it's a no-brainer. You'll lose a few products here and there, but you'll gain so much more business and a much better reputation by putting a five-year guarantee on it. But I would look into the guarantee, dig into the detail of that guarantee and find out how genuine a guarantee is it. And also you need to remember another really important thing which we've come across is if someone gives them you a five-year guarantee, will they still be in business in five years? If they're not, it ain't worth the paper it's written on. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything the, the chaps have said. John was talking about doing your own testing, which of course is good, but sometimes it's useful to have an independent test body test your equipment as well. So, for example, ENEC or VDE, or we're looking at DALI 2, for example, where you get your equipment tested by an independent test body, and then uh, you can access their website and see which products uh, comply. But I think a common sense approach really, if you haven't heard of the brand, if the deal looks too good to be true, if it's a very uh, cost-effective product, is it a false economy? Would it be better 
to use an established uh, supply chain where you've heard of the manufacturer, uh, you know the distributor, they both work closely together. And uh, talking about uh, guarantees as well, I, I completely agree. Five-year guarantee sounds really good, but if the company isn't around in five years' time or um, they're not prepared to uh, offer a like-for-like -like replacement, it's meaningless. Yes, a guarantee can be a, a sword of many edges. It can be a, almost a, a reassurance that the manufacturer is absolutely convinced about their product quality. It can also be just a throwaway line, as uh, the other two guys have said. If, they, yeah. if it can't be backed up on, you can say anything. You can say a 50-year warranty if you want to. If you know you have no intention of ever being around to make good on that warranty, then, of course, it's meaningless. So that is something that needs to be looked into as well. And of course individuals on really big contracts can start to talk about things like looking at their own warranties that they agree through the supply chain. But then again that would be a much more based on a financial and a commercial agreement and uh, I think it's important that the semantics of these things are carefully checked. Guarantees, what the wording actually means. Look to other industries for example, like the automobile industry. Seven year, ten year warranties on cars often only last as good as the original owner. There's a risk evaluation been taken here that many people won't buy a car and run it for seven years. So try and look behind on big projects, what is really being offered and what that guarantee, the warranty, the commercial offer, whatever it is, is really, is really offering you. And equally, don't be just drawn into cynicism about warranties and guarantees because these are long life products, they are quality products and they will last longer than traditional light sources. And in many cases, again, from the reputable suppliers and manufacturers, the warranties are worth having and they are worth investigating. Alistair? Just taking the warranty guarantee thing a bit further, that is only warranting the product as bought, so that would be the lamp or the lamp unit. It is part of a system and that needs to be considered. So again, if you're selecting someone from the lighting industry with a good history, they will be talking to either directly or through standards and other ways that the products will be compatible. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we have a warranty on the lamp if it's fitted in the wrong place with the wrong equipment is invalidated. So that's a very important thing that then you need to have some degree of confidence that the, your supplier of the lamp does actually know his industry and does actually get involved in that part of the business. Taking that a bit further in terms of safety, the safety of a lamp is as much dependent on the controls that are being placed. So when considering re-lighting an area, one really does need to look at the old controls. The lamp manufacturers have done their best to uh, make sure that, in, especially more recently, that their lamps mimic the old incandescent lamps. But because they offer additional benefits and behave slightly differently, this is never going to be a one-for-one. One. So again, choose someone who understands this. There are many lamps on the market that do not mention that actually you stick them deep into a ceiling with no air vents that will shorten the product greatly, but also cause them to behave differently. So it is very important the element of how you're controlling the lamp is also taken into consideration. Mm. And many times I've heard of, oh, uh, I bought a good lamp here and I put, I put it into an old control system, well actually the old control system was probably not even properly designed for 100 watt lamps, they were for much lower ones. And the second thing, one nature of LEDs is they are actually very low power demanding items which also does not actually often go very well with old control systems. So I think that I would say that 
when doing any relamping with LED, you are handling a new technology. Yes, they have been designed to mimic as much as possible the old incandescent type or fluorescent technology, but buyer beware, and you need to understand probably a little bit better the design criteria required for a LED set lamp. And often it's the combination of the control and the lamp that actually ends up being potentially the long-term safety issue. Yeah. I think it slightly gets away from electrical safety, but taking further what you said there, the biggest issue in the industry for compatibility is dimming compatibility. Mm-hmm. So people aren't aware, they buy a halogen lamp, it's a filament source, mm. so it's very easy to dim on any dimmer. With LED, totally different technology, doesn't work like that. So we're faced with huge issues with, is the lamp compatible with the dimmer? The problem you have is when they dim it and the lamp don't work, Whose fault is it? Is it the dimmer? Is it dimmer's manufacturers? Is it who who takes responsibility for it? Most manufacturers now do issue lists of what dimmers are compatible with their with their products, and that's something we always urge our customers. The first thing we ask is it going to be dimmed? If it is, what dimmer are you using? Let's make sure it's it's comparable with the product you want to buy from us. And what we've noticed it with low reputation product is they just say they're dimmable, and we realise you've not really looked into it into into the right detail or enough detail. It, it, it may well be dimmable, but on whose dimmers? If it's made in Asia, have you made it comparable with an Asian dimmer? If you're putting that product in the market in Europe, is it comparable with the dimmers that we use in, yeah. uh, in Europe? It's probably the biggest issue that we've got with any, any detail. And I would add that in terms of, which is a safety issue, is because of the way some of the LEDs behave and the older dimmer to, or controls in a marketplace they certainly weren't designed for the inrush current that can occur on some LED lighting systems. Mm. And also, they put a strain on the control system and some of the cabling behind that control system sometimes. And hence, that becomes potentially a longer-term safety issue. So all this has to be taken into consideration when uh, designing and Mm. deciding on what you're going to build in. I think that's a really interesting point, Alistair, because it's also taking it away slightly from the equipment that's being supplied. It's actually putting the onus on designers, M&Es, contractors, to actually make sure that they are up to date with the differences in the technology, that retrofit only goes so far, and you should be absolutely sure that the infrastructure and the architecture of what you're retrofitting a product into, for example, even a complete change of luminaire is suitable and appropriate for that that architecture and that place that you're putting it into. So I think that's very important about self-education. That's one of the the great things that Voltimum does, of course, is to provide a portal for um, not just manufacturers to talk about their products, but also to have a much wider approach to the whole industry for, for contractors and designers. And it's really important that particularly installers take advantage of that and take advantage of those learning opportunities. Yeah, I think that's a a key thing which differentiates large companies from smaller companies. I think the larger companies realise they've got a responsibility to educate customers and uh, end users and carry out uh, CPD presentations and so on and just try and educate the lighting industry about these compatibility issues, which I don't think smaller companies do. Well, many of those smaller companies haven't got the capability to do it. Yeah. If I look at the range of uh, LED tubes, 
uh, as replacement for T8 fluorescent that, say, for example, Philips manufactures. It's a very large range of products, and it, it needs some explanation. And we, we spend a lot of time in providing resources, as do the other major manufacturers, into what the differentiation is, where you use it, how best to use it, what you have to do, and what the responsibilities are in terms of contract responsibility and owner user responsibilities for products once they have been converted, for example. So all these things have to be taken into consideration. And we work with bodies like the Lighting Industry Association to produce technical statements as well, which help and then again guide. So again, it's, it's making sure that you're sourcing from suppliers and manufacturers who are fully embedded in the industry with those agents of uh, support, change and education like the LIA, like Voltimum, who will be able to help you uh, in, in making considered and correct decisions. John, I'd just like to add, I think, yes, one, obviously, if the company's smaller, one, it is a little bit of buyer beware, but because of things like the Lighting Industry Association, they are often members and they actually do understand the issues and have access to quite a lot. So yeah. size doesn't, isn't always criteria. It's no. also look at their affiliations, where they belong to, because they may be prefer uh, supplying a very niche product, a very specialised product, or even a unique product to themselves. So I think it's, yes, size is, you should take an eye on, but also if they belong to the right organisations, they are either validated by that organisation, more often not, it does give them tremendous access to information which their size would normally preclude them from. Absolutely. And they can enjoy the benefits of our LIA training, Voltimum training as well. So, yeah, it, uh, to me, it's quite agree. an important thing. Absolutely, yes. No, that's quite right. But also the whole supply chain. Uh, if, if you buy online, you're not going to get the level of support you get from a, a specialist lighting company. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Unless the person online is a specialist lighting company. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that uh, brings that discussion to a close. I'd like to thank my guests today from the Baltimore Lighting Expert panel, Alistair, Jerry, Chris and John. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions or want more information, then please visit our website. And for more podcasts from Voltimum, you can follow us on iTunes or Google and find them all on our website, www.voltimum.co.uk forward slash podcast. Goodbye.